before Jesus comes again. False prophets will arise. Turmoil will increase. And the church will be persecuted. But those who endure to the end will be saved. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. You are not yet what you will one day be. Thank God for that, right? The world is not yet what it will one day be. The first time Jesus came, he purchased our redemption. But the work of his redemption, though complete in all that he did, is not yet fully realized. And for that, Jesus is coming again. Right? Just as we sang a moment ago, what? Till he returns or calls me home. <laughs> so one day he will return. Jesus is coming again. And when he does so, he will transform our mortal bodies. He will fashion them new in the image of his glorious resurrection body. He will establish his rule on the earth. And at the conclusion of the millennium, he will carry out final judgment and then he will make all things new. We will live and reign with him on a new earth forever and ever. And all of this he will do for his glory. And we will share in the joy and the blessedness of his glory forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're continuing then today with our series, Unique, The Life, Death, and the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a harmony of the Gospels in which we take the message of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, put them together into one flowing, harmonious account here. The order of events we're going is following this, suggested by John MacArthur in his book, One Perfect Life. Well, we are drawing near to the end of his earthly ministry here. We're, we're just moments away or days away from the crucifixion here. But at this point, we're going to look at the Olivet Discourse, signs of his coming uh, from Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. And what is the big idea? What is the main theme that I want us to take away from this here today? Well, it is this. Before Jesus comes again, false prophets will arise, turmoil will increase, and the church will be persecuted. But those who endure to the end will be saved. Jesus is coming again. But before he comes again, there's going to be a lot of false prophets. There have been many, haven't there? They will increase. Turmoil. There's a lot of turmoil, turmoil in this world. It will increase. The church will be persecuted. But those who endure to the end will be saved. Before we look at our text here, a little note here on the Olivet Discourse, some interpretation issues. Today is a bit of a fire hose message. It's not as quite as fire hosey as it gets, but it's really close, you know, to that. I know there's going to be a lot that is coming at us here today. 
Uh, and in fact, this is the first of three messages on the Olivet Discourse. The fact is, is the Olivet Discourse, this sermon that Jesus gave here, could very easily be a very lengthy sermon series in and of itself. And so this is not something we would cover in, in one message here. But we're going to break this down into three messages then. Uh, we will touch on the highlights of this major, final public teaching of Jesus before he went to the cross. But I want you to stick with it through this. Even though it's a little fire hosey, stick with it through these details, because when we get to the end today, I want to challenge us and encourage us. I want to challenge and encourage us with three key application points. Now, we call it the Olivet Discourse because it took place where? On the Mount of Olives, that's right, which was just to the east of Jerusalem. It has been the subject of great debate among Bible scholars about how to properly interpret its contents. And there have been several different schools of thought that have emerged, but I will tell you how I have come to understand it. There are many good questions that we might ask of this text. We might ask, for example, is it describing near-term future events or long-term future events? And I believe the answer to that question is what, Ralph? Yes, that's right. Was Jesus speaking to his disciples at that time? Or was he speaking to future generations of disciples, even including us here today? And I think the answer to that question is yes. Is this addressing the nation of Israel, or is it addressing the church? And I believe the answer to that question is yes. Ralph might not have been quick to say yes on that one right there, but the others I know. (laughs) Will the church have been removed from the world prior to Christ's second coming? Or will the church still be in the world when he comes? And I believe the answer to that question is yes. Wait a minute. The church has been removed, and yet the church is still there when he comes? Yes. How can that be? Stay tuned. Stay tuned for that. See, simple, right? Very simple. No, I, I do realize that there are some challenging interpretational questions, regardless of what perspective one might take on these matters. But regardless of one's views, there are some clear and compelling practical truths that we can take away from the text, whatever our understanding of it might be. And as I said before, When we get to the end of our message today, I want to challenge us but also encourage us with three key application points that hold, regardless of how you might understand some of the interpretational details of the passage. So before we look at our text, then a little context. Here we are in the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. He has presented himself to the nation of Israel as their promised Messiah. And while many believed in him, they did not fully understand the nature of his mission, including even his own disciples. And sadly, though, the leadership of the nation had rejected Jesus, and they thought him to be a false teacher, 
and even a demon-possessed blasphemer. Why? Because he, being a man, made himself out to be a god. Now, normally that would indeed make a person a blasphemer, wouldn't it? Making yourself out to be God. It would, unless it's true. And in the case of Jesus, it was true. He was not a blasphemer. He truly was God in the flesh. But because of the nation's rejection of him as their Messiah, Jesus had pronounced judgment on the nation. And he then prophesies about what is to come. So let's look at our first section of our text here. A harmony of Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. We're told, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations. And one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you not see all these great buildings? Assuredly, I say to you, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately, saying, Teacher, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign when all these things are about to take place? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And the time has drawn near and will deceive many. Therefore, do not go after them, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So first we see Jesus' prophecy of the destruction of the temple. So now he has completed his discussions and his debates with the religious leaders. Jesus has left the temple complex to return to Bethany by way of the Mount of Olives. And the words that Jesus had just uttered were still burning in his disciples' ears here how he had denounced the nation and he said that it would be desolate. And they wondered if Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed, how would there be a nation for Messiah to rule? The disciples pointed out the buildings of the temple area to Jesus as if to impress him with their magnificence. And I can only imagine how magnificent indeed it must have been. You know, having had the chance to visit there to where the Temple Mount is now, where you still have that wall, that western wall, retaining wall there, seeing just the size of it and hearing what it was like and seeing drawings of that, artistic views of that, it really must have been an incredible sight to see. 
And they wondered, how is all of this just going to be made desolate? What could possibly happen to all of this, and especially to the temple of God? How could God allow his very own temple to be destroyed? But Jesus' response brought them, no doubt, some degree of consternation when he said, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. The temple would be destroyed in Jerusalem with it. Was Jesus right about that? Yes, he was, because that's exactly what happened. But I would suggest to you, it happened then, and as I understand it, it's going to happen again. And this prompted the disciples then to ask, well, well, when when will this take place? And so as Jesus reached the Mount of Olives in his walk to Bethany, he sat down and the disciples came to him. And four of them, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, asked him two questions. One, when? When will this happen? When will this temple be destroyed? When will not one stone be left on top of another? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so it is these two questions that prompts Jesus's sermon, this discourse, commonly called then the Olivet Discourse. And these questions then relate to the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem, but also then the sign of his coming and of the end of the age. So while I believe the focus here is on Israel and the end of the age, nevertheless, though, there are parallels in history to the experience of the church. So when we read this, I believe the focus is on what's going to happen to the nation of Israel. But it also speaks, though, to church history. There are parallels there. So the disciples then, their questions related to Jerusalem, Israel, the Lord's second coming in glory to establish his kingdom. But parallels to the church then as well. The temple would be destroyed. There would be false prophets who arise. Jesus begins to describe the events leading up to his return in glory and to indicate some of the things, some of the signs of that coming, the things that would happen, the things to watch for. And in this section here in Matthew 24, verses 4 through 8, I believe he is describing the first half of this seven-year period that we see in the book of Revelation, this tribulation period. That period is also called the 70th week of Daniel, if you look in the book of Daniel, chapter 9. I think it's always Revelation is an expansion of Daniel, chapter 9, then. Now, there are some who believe that some of these signs, these general signs, are present here in the church age, and that that time of trouble then begins a little bit later there. And I think the answer to that is yes, (laughs) that it does describe things now and throughout church history, but it will especially describe a period shortly before the return of Christ that we know as the tribulation period, that final seven years before Christ returns. And that period then will be characterized by many false Christs, false prophets, who will come and announce them. We've seen that throughout church history, haven't we? We still have them today. 
But before Christ comes, this will increase. And there will be many false prophets, false Christ saying, see, here I am. I have the answer. Follow me. Very simple to understand all of this, isn't it? So, I know there's challenges there. But I think it is describing a future period, but it does parallel what has happened in history and continues to happen then today. So we will see the destruction of the temple. There are, will be many false prophets who will arise. There will be wars and natural disasters, wars and rumors of wars. Nations will rise up against one another on a global scale. Have we seen that? We certainly have. Are we going to see it again? Yes, much more so. There will be unusual disturbances in nature, including famines and earthquakes. Have we seen those? Yes, we have. We're going to see more before then. There also then will be, Jesus says, all of these things, though, are simply the beginning of birth pains. Now, I want you to know here, this may surprise some of you, but I've never given birth. I know I look like I could, don't I? But I have not. I have not given birth. But I hear from those who have, women who have, that it's a painful thing. Can I get a witness there to that? That it's a, yeah, it's a painful thing. But before that child is born, there are birth pains, labor pains, right? Now, those aren't the same thing as the birth, but they're just indicating the birth that's going to come. But those painful, the, the, the labor pains indicating the pain of childbirth was coming, but then once the baby is born, that pain gives way to what? The joy that the child is born. So in the same way, we're going to see many painful things like birth pains happening in the world. And just as the labor pains increase right before the child is born, so these things will increase right before the Lord comes, before Jesus comes again. But when he comes, though, all of that is going to, what, give birth, if you will, to the revelation of Christ and eventually, what, to a new heaven and a new earth and the joy of all of that that will come. But Jesus goes on then to say, though, but watch out, watch out for yourselves, for before all these things they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you up to councils and prisons, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. When they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. Settle it in your hearts, not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. Whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers." relatives and friends, 
and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. By your patience, possess your souls, and this gospel of the kingdom must first be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So there will be persecution. Now there has been persecution throughout the history of the church, hasn't there? But before Jesus comes, there will be a great period of persecution then. At the middle point of the seven-year period preceding Christ's second coming, there will be great distress that will be experienced by the world, but particularly what that will be experienced by Israel. The Antichrist, who will have arisen to power in the world, he will have made a protective treaty with Israel, but he will break that agreement at that time, and he will bring great persecution on Israel. That's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? Great persecution coming on the nation of Israel. All the world gathering together against Israel. That could never happen, could it? Oh, yes, it could. We're seeing it right now, aren't we? Now, again, I'm not saying that what we're seeing right now, this is it, folks. But I am saying, well, it could be. (laughs) could be leading to it, right? But it shows us. Not just the believability of the biblical picture of this end time, all of the world converging on that tiny little strip of land there. It shows not only its believability, but its probability, frankly. So all the nations of the world are going to converge on that tiny little strip of land called Israel. There will be great persecution then. This will result in the death of many and many have been departing from the faith. Has the church been persecuted throughout history? Yes. Will believers in Jesus be persecuted intently at this time? Yes, they will. But I believe this is focusing on what's going to happen in that little strip of land, Israel. That there will be great persecution then. There will be betrayals. There will be betrayals. Believers, believing Jews will be betrayed by non-believers and many will be deceived by the rise of false prophets. And again, there are parallels here with the church age that we see this happening now in the church age as well. Persecution, betrayal, lawlessness. I can't imagine a scenario where the world just descends into more and more lawlessness. Can you? Well, maybe out there, that could never happen in America, right? Where we could just descend further and further down into lawlessness. No, it's going to happen. (laughs) The world is going to become increasingly lawless. Wickedness will increase. This will happen before the coming of the Lord. Parallels with the church age right now? Absolutely. But I think this is describing that particular period shortly before Jesus comes. 
lawlessness, and the love of people will grow cold. The love of God, the love of one another will grow cold. Again, I cannot imagine where people just hate one another. Can you, can you imagine that, a society where we all just are so angry and hate one another? Parallels with now. But not like it will be when it's coming. Persecution, betrayal, lawlessness, the love in people's hearts will grow cold. Those who remain faithful, though, to the Lord until the end of that period, they will be saved, though. They will be delivered. God will ultimately deliver them. God has not promised to spare us from pain or persecution or even physical death, but he will ultimately deliver all those who trust in him, won't he? Persecution and betrayal, lawlessness, love will grow cold. This all sounds pretty... Sounds pretty negative, doesn't it? But you know what else is going to happen? The gospel will be preached in all the world. The gospel will be preached in all the world. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world in this period as a testimony to all of the nations. That though this will be a terrible time of persecution, the Lord will have servants who will witness and spread the good news concerning Christ and his soon coming kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. And this message will be very similar to that that John the Baptist and Jesus and the disciples preached in the early part of their ministry. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. The message preached today in the church age and the message in the, proclaimed in the tribulation period calls to turning to the Savior for salvation. But in the tribulation period, that message will stress the coming kingdom and that those who turn to the Savior salvation for salvation will be allowed entrance into that kingdom. And there will be many. There will be many, according to Revelation chapter 7, there will be many who respond to that message and believe. By the way, I said before, and again, I know this is, this is uh, we might have to talk about this at another time. There's a lot to, to, to think about here with all of this. But we ask, you know, will the church be here? Will the church still be here while all this is going on? And the answer is yes and no. <laughs> how, how is it that the church will be gone and yet the church will be here? Well, there, there are some who believe that, that, that Jesus is going to take up the church before all of this happens, at the beginning of this seven-year period of the tribulation, a pre-tribulation rapture. There's some who thinks that he is going to bring them up in the middle of this, a mid-tribulation. Some at the end of it, post-trib, and shortly before his coming then, right as he has coming, kind of almost instantaneously, frankly. And to that I say, well, there are believers who have held any of those perspectives over the years, and, and I, I leave that to you. You know, to, to examine and, and draw your conclusions on what you think about that. My perspective is pre-tribulational rapture. I believe that, that, that Christ is going to take up his church before this happens, that he is going to spare or save his church from the hour of testing that is to come on all the earth. So the church will be gone. But does that mean that's the end of the church? No, because what's going to happen during that seven-year period? The gospel is going to be preached. And are people going to believe? Yes, there will be many. So is the church gone? Yes, 
Is the church gone? No. <laughs> right? It's both. So there will be believers on the earth as all of this is happening. The point is, is whatever you may think on this, I don't think this is something we should argue about, by the way. I think it's something that's good to, to think about, to, to contemplate, to debate even. But should it be something that divides us? No. So whatever you may think on that, are there going to be believers on the earth when, Jesus, when all of this horrible stuff is going on? Yes, there will be. I believe Jesus is addressing that and addressing them. He goes on to say, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is on the field not go back to get his clothes. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. In those days there will be great tribulation, such has not been seen since the beginning of the world, which God created until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out, or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. But take heed, see, I have told you all these things beforehand. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For, which, for wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. So we see Jesus here speak of the abomination of desolation. He is giving an overview of the tribulation period prior to his return. He spoke of the greatest observable sign within that period, which is called the abomination that causes desolation. And this is also spoken of by Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. It refers to the disruption of the worship in the temple. Now, I believe that the temple will be rebuilt, that there will be worship in the temple again, and that the, uh, there will be a great world dictator, the Antichrist, that he will make his appearance there and he will make the temple abominable and therefore desolate by setting up in the temple an image of himself to be worshipped. I believe that is the image or that is the abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist sets up his image to be worshipped in the temple. Are there examples of that in history? Yes, there are going before. And this is what is going to happen again. 
And when this happens, it will be seen by everyone. And then begins the great tribulation. When those events occur, they're told what? Flee. Flee to the mountains. Don't take anything with you. It'll be a time of great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world, never to be equaled again. And what? It would be so bad that no one would survive unless God shortened those days. And he does it for the sake of the elect, that is, his chosen ones, those who believe in him, that he will shorten those days for their benefit then. As I said, I believe that the elect, God's chosen people of the church age, they will have already been raptured before the tribulation, but there will be people who believe after that time. And they will endure and must endure through this time. The Lord will not be on the earth bodily at that time, but he will return to the earth bodily. And when he does so, his coming will be like lightning flashing from the east to the west. It will be a splendorous and visible event that all of the world will see. And wherever there is a carcass that is physical corruption, vultures go there to eat it. And in the same way, wherever there is spiritual corruption, judgment will follow. The world will have become the domain of Satan's man, the Antichrist, the lawless one, and many people will be corrupted by false prophets. But the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, he will come quickly in judgment of all of those things. Simple, right? then told this. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of earth to the farthest part of heaven. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up. And lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Praise the Lord. (laughs) There will be signs in the heavens. Immediately following the distress of that period, the Lord will return. And when he returns, there will be great disturbances, unusual displays in the heavens and the sky. And this appearance will cause people to look upon them and mourn. To look upon him and mourn. Mourn, what, for their rejection of him and what they did to him. And they will realize that their time of judgment has come. Exactly what is the sign of the Son of Man is as unknown, but I suspect it may have to do with, it involves the Shekinah glory. I believe Jerry said something about the Shekinah glory of God here this morning, right? And I believe that is the sign of the Son of Man, that this, this powerful display of God's glory, unmistakable sign of God's glory and power coming before him, seeing that around him. But whatever it is, 
it will be unmistakable. By the way, there are uh, some uh, religions out there that teach that Jesus has, they they predicted that Jesus was going to come and they set dates. And when he did not come in this way, then we said, what? Oh, it was a spiritual coming or something like that. But I want you to know, when you read the scriptures, is there going to be any mistaking the fact that Jesus has, in fact, returned? (laughs) No. So if someone says Jesus has returned, and they tell you what year it was, if it was 1918 or whatever, say bye, right? There's not going to be any mistaking about his return. Everyone will know. There will be signs in the heavens, and then Christ will return in great power and glory. No mistaking it whatsoever. And when he does so, then he will gather the elect. Who are the elect? These are God's people that he loves, that he has chosen, those who have believed in him. And he will call them out. Who are his people? The church, yes, but people of all ages. The Old Testament era saints. Those who believed in Christ at this time. All of God's people will be gathered together then. So what? What do you want me to do with this? Well, I would remind us where we started in saying that before Jesus comes again, false prophets will arise. Turmoil will increase. And the church will be persecuted. But those who endure to the end will be saved. Said, I know there's a lot to think about in all this, and it can get confusing with all these different perspectives here on understanding how we interpret these end time events. Is it Israel? Is it the church? Is there, is there no future for Israel? Is it all? All of these kinds of questions, right? But I would suggest whatever we might think on that, these principles flow out of this text, and it is true regardless of your interpretation of that text. And here's the first one. Hold fast to Christ. Hold fast to Christ and the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Where do we find that in the scripture? The book of Jude, right? About holding fast to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. There will be many false prophets who arise in those days, but there have been false prophets Since Jesus ascended into heaven, there have been false prophets, right? And they're here today, aren't they? Do not go after them. Do not believe them. Hold fast to Christ and the faith once for all delivered to the saints. The testimony that we have here in the scriptures, in the word of God. Don't believe any of these false prophets. Prepare. Prepare to give a reason for your hope. But trust the Spirit to direct your answer when persecution comes. Right? Some people look at it and say, well, well, Jesus said, don't think about him beforehand what you will answer. You know, if being, and I think, does that mean we should not prepare or be ready to give an answer? No, I think we should prepare, be ready to give an answer for our faith, why we believe what we do. But in the end, when the heat comes, we should do what? Trust 
God in it. Trust the Spirit to direct your answer when persecution comes. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. This is talking about a very specific point in the, in the period of the tribulation. Yeah, I, I know that is, but I think it's applicable for us as well here today, isn't it? For those who are being persecuted for believing in Christ. Prepare to give a reason for your hope, but trust the Spirit to direct your answer when persecution comes. Well, fortunately, we live in America, and we don't have to worry about persecution, right? I don't know. There are many around this world who are persecuted every day, aren't there? Might that come here? Yeah. Now, there's no question there's opposition here. But it's not like the way it is in some places around the world. But could it get like that here? Maybe. Prepare, but trust the Spirit to direct your answer. And I don't think that's just in persecution. I think it's an everyday conversation with your neighbor even, right? Prepare, but trust the Spirit to guide your conversation and how you talk with people. Finally then this, fear not, for you will be eternally delivered. I cannot promise you that you're going to avoid all suffering or persecution or hardship. I can't promise you that. But what I can promise is that not one hair on your head will be harmed. Wait a minute. How can that happen? It's like you could even you could be killed for the faith, but Jesus says, "Don't fear, you will be delivered." Well, he's speaking what? Of eternal deliverance. Whatever may happen, you are secure eternally in Christ. So whatever happens in our country, fear not. You have been and you will be delivered eternally. So what? Hold fast. Hold fast to Christ and to the faith. Prepare, but trust. Prepare, but trust. And fear not. Hold fast. Prepare, but trust. And fear not. These things hold true, however you interpret or understand this message. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our eternal deliverance that we have in Jesus Christ. God, I I thank you that whatever the interpretation of some of these challenging passages here for us might be, we know that you are in charge, that you are in control, that you are coming again, that you are going to finish, that you're going to fulfill every promise that you have made, and that you are going to do all of this for your glory and that we are secure in you, whatever may await us. So Lord, thank you that you're coming again. Thank you that you are going to set all things right and that you are going to make all things new. But until then, Lord, may we continue to trust you, to hold fast to you, to hold fast to the faith that we have revealed to us through the apostles in the scriptures. May we hold fast to that. May we be prepared, Lord, to answer questions, but to trust you, to trust your spirit, to guide 
our words. But most of all, Lord, may we not fear, knowing that we have been eternally delivered in Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.